Tonight, her home now a crime scene. A new development in the murder of Trina Hunt. Plus. I heard really loud popping sounds. I thought they were firecrackers. Execution in South Vancouver. What neighbors heard and what police are saying about the victim. Also. Change requires a sustained effort by all levels. Shockwaves at UBC as three former football players are charged with sexual assault. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. I'm Neetu Garcha. We begin with breaking news in a murder mystery that has gripped the province. Days after the family of Trina Hunt offered a huge reward for new information leading to an arrest and charge in the case, the home she shared with her husband and another residence in the Fraser Valley are behind police tape tonight. Kristen Robinson has the latest. Yellow crime scene tape surrounds the home where Trina Hunt used to live on Heritage Mountain. Hey, how's it going? Not bad. How are you guys doing? As two Port Moody police officers hold the scene. Some 50 kilometers away in Mission, the integrated homicide investigation team is searching a property owned by Trina's husband, Ian Hunt's parents. Global News has learned Trina's vehicle, a white Mercedes SUV seen in the driveway, has been towed by investigators. Earlier this week, Ian was seen gardening outside his Port Moody home. On the same day, Trina's family announced an up to $50,000 reward to help bring her alleged killer to justice. We are desperate for information. Yeah, we've just, we've just re reached the state where we need to resolve this. We need to ensure that charges are laid. 48-year-old Trina vanished in January. More than two months later, on March 29th, her remains were discovered by a member of the public south of Silver Creek in Hope. The missing person mystery shifted to a murder investigation. Trina's cousins tell Global News that Ian Hunt told them they were in Hope the weekend of January 15th, visiting a campground and on a digital detox, which is why Trina couldn't be reached by phone. If somebody has information that can resolve this, please come forward, please. Police say Ian was the last person to see Trina at their home on the morning of January 18th before he left for work. He reported his wife missing hours later. Ian has not responded to emails from Global News. I believe that IHIT will solve this. They're close. This is just the final push and they are going to get to the bottom of this. Kristen Robinson, Global News. Now to a frightening night for those living in a South Vancouver neighborhood. Shots rang out last night, leaving a man dead in the latest in a series of deadly gun violence to plague the Lower Mainland. Amadagahi has the latest. Almost everyone had heard the shots in this relatively new and quiet South Vancouver neighborhood on Kent Avenue. I heard really loud popping sounds. I thought they were firecrackers. It was like bang, 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 bang. And we heard uh, six shots. What many also heard was the sound of screeching tires and a speeding vehicle immediately on the run. When police arrived, they found the victim in his car and already dead. A man later identified as 44-year-old Alvin Singh. I do hate using the public's not at risk because shots were fired, somebody died. That's always a risk and that's always a concern. However, it was a, a targeted incident. 
Vancouver police now working to find out how or even if what is now the city's eighth homicide of 2021 is connected to the ongoing gang conflict in Metro Vancouver. But the VPD admits it has all the similarities, like a torch vehicle believed to be linked to the suspects found nearby at 59th and Ontario, and the potential for a tit-for-tat response. So, of course, retaliation is always a concern for us. The gruesome scenes and sounds from Friday night are now vivid memories for families, including children passing police tape on a morning walk. How are you? We're okay. Just trying to go for a little walk and a little bit shaken up, though. He seemed non-responsive. He slumped over. Um, I saw some bullet holes in the car. It's, it's kind of shocking, and I can't figure out why this would be the place this would happen. The victim known to police who say his background paints the picture that at times in his life Singh was familiar and perhaps associated with gangs. The VPD still asking for witnesses and video of the crime or getaway car with three potential suspects inside. Amadagahi, Global News. Two Vancouver police officers were seriously injured last night when their unmarked vehicle collided with a transit bus. The crash happened near East 41st and Dumfries Street. Both officers were trapped and had to be freed by firefighters and paramedics. They remain in hospital with broken legs. The bus driver and three passengers were taken to hospital and have since been released. The VPD says the officers were among those leaving the homicide scene in the River District just after 11 p.m., when they were called to respond to reports of a man with a gun in a home near Rupert and East 29th. The VPD's Collision Investigation Unit is now looking into the crash. Now to shocking allegations against three former UBC students. They were charged today with sexual assault, the same woman. As Julia Foy reports, the accused trio were members of the university's football team. Javel Pinto set up over on the left-hand side. 25-year-old Travell Pinto was a star football player with UBC. And Pinto is going to score. And he's connected. Travell Pinto. This January, he was signed by the Calgary Stampeders. On Saturday, RCMP announced that Pinto, along with former UBC Thunderbird teammates, 26-year-old Tremont Levy, and 24-year-old Ben Cummings have each been charged with one count of sexual assault. Levy is also facing a charge of voyeurism in connection to an incident from three years ago. Just before 4.30 a.m. on November 5, 2018, University RCMP received a 911 call from a woman who reported she had been sexually assaulted by three men at the residence in Vancouver on Acadia Road. The University RCMP immediately launched an investigation and sought assistance and expertise from the BC RCMP Major Crime Section. UBC confirmed to Global News that the three men charged are former students and Thunderbirds. On behalf of UBC, I would like to express our collective and deep concern for the well-being of those impacted by the alleged sexual assault off campus on November 5, 2018. UBC Athletics and the entire university are shocked and saddened by the allegations in this case. Several organizations have been working with post-secondaries to improve safety for female students. When September rolls around every year, uh, there is a spike in, in sexual assault reports by students 
and, and, and sexual assault reports that involve more than one alleged perpetrator. McDougall worked with UBC in 2017 to develop a sexual assault policy, but she thinks there's much more that needs to be done. So we've got a long way to go, and this is a well past a wake-up call for the University of British Columbia to take this seriously. All three suspects remain in custody and are expected to appear in Richmond Provincial Court next week. None of the allegations have been proven in court. Julia Foy, Global News. Pope Francis met with two Canadian cardinals at the Vatican today as calls mount on the Catholic Church to apologize for the devastating impact of the residential school system. Meanwhile, more ceremonies were held across the province to honor the hundreds of children whose unmarked burial sites were found recently at the former residential school in Kamloops. Paul Johnson has more. At the Peace Arch Saturday, it was pointed out that this is a border that was dreamed up by some other people. Our Salish nation goes from B.C., Washington, Montana, and Oregon. This gathering of First Nations from around the region was a moment of reflecting on the news of the past week, but also an opportunity to start some practical work. And that's probably a good hint about where this story could be going. A lot of the families are collecting their archives over 50 years where their grandparents, parents disappeared, didn't come back from the northern residential schools. So they're collecting those in support of Kamloops. Those gatherings Saturday talked about a new effort of unearthing everything that can be found out about the Indigenous children brought to Canada's 139 residential schools, 13 of which were in B.C. I consider these... Babies, I call them babies, as aunties and uncles that I haven't met. They didn't make it home. And so I'm doing what I can for my aunties and my uncles. If you're non-Indigenous, their stories can have the emotional effect of a gut punch. A vision of what it was like to experience Western civilization through someone else's eyes. These things were done in the name of the Bible, but it wasn't the Bible that did it. It was the black robes had done it, done the deeds. Some of this is getting through to non-Indigenous Canadians. In the interior Saturday, there were truck convoys and motorcycle rallies headed for Kamloops in a show of solidarity with their First Nations neighbors. We stand in solidarity with the First Nations and we hear them loud and clear. Now it's time for Canada to hear them loud and clear. Paul Johnson, Global News. The University of Victoria held a sacred fire ceremony this week to honour the 215 children whose remains were found on the former Kamloops residential school site. The sacred fire was lit in the quad area of the UVic campus to offer support to students, staff, faculty and elders after the discovery by the Tecumloops to Shwetmik First Nation. The fire remained lit 24 hours a day from this past Monday until noon on Friday. A big part of what's been happening is breaking the silence and making sure that we listen to the voices of the people that we have not been listening to. Because those children at Kamloops residential school were long talked about. They were loved. We knew they were there. 
the collective action is what's necessary now to make sure that those kids at every single school are found and remembered and honoured. We have to know this history. We have to remember them. We have to learn their names. We have to learn where they came from. Everyone was welcome to write messages to the 215 children of the former Kamloops Residential School with the notes and cards placed in a container to be burned in the sacred fire. Abbotsford police want to speak with any witnesses to a deadly crash on Friday night. Police say a female pedestrian was hit by a vehicle at Clearbrook Road and Coral Avenue just after 10 p.m. Despite life-saving efforts, she died of her injuries. The driver did remain at the scene and is cooperating with the investigation. Traffic on Clearbrook between George Ferguson Way and McClure Road was blocked for some time. Anyone with dash cam video is being asked to call Abbotsford police. A man has been charged in connection to a violent assault in Campbell River Wednesday night. RCMP say the woman was stabbed multiple times in the local superstore parking lot. She was sent to hospital but has since been released. She didn't know her attacker, prompting concerns from the public about the random attack. Yesterday, RCMP arrested 37-year-old Damien Sorosinski. He's from Ontario and has a criminal record. He's now facing one charge of attempted murder and aggravated assault. He's set to appear in court on Tuesday. A new report is slamming Prince George City Council after the cost of a downtown parkade and housing project nearly doubled. The parking and the housing were built as part of a downtown revitalization project, but in issuing the contract, the city assumed all the risk. So when the price tag ballooned from an initial budget of $12.6 million to more than $24 million, taxpayers were on the hook. An independent review says the city went into the project without fully understanding what it was committing to. The report recommends a wholesale review of how the city manages large projects. Yeah, you got to rebuild the trust. How do you do that? Well, I think you do it just as I've said. You create the opportunity for uh, different processes to be put in place that give us as council oversight and transparency. And so as we, uh, and again, I go back to phase one of the new pool that came to a public session of council, and those are the kinds of things that we're looking for. The downtown pool is a $42 million project expected to open in late 2022. And so far, city officials report is on budget. Just ahead, a devastating time for a Surrey family hit by cancer, COVID-19, the overdose crisis and fire. How you can help next and a special salute on Vancouver Island as a Canadian hero marks a milestone. That's later. Nearly every day, Dr. Bonnie Henry reveals the growing number of B.C. families directly impacted by COVID-19. Now meet one of those families. Joseph Trudeau has been battling the devastating disease since March from the ICU ward in Surrey Memorial Hospital. And just when you thought things couldn't get worse for this family, they're now homeless. And I want just people to know that it's real. Another devastated family renewing the warning. The virus is real and can be vicious. Look at my husband, people. Look at him really well. Because that man could die if he doesn't make it. Here he is at Surrey Memorial Hospital's ICU, where Joseph Trudeau needs this ventilator and dialysis to survive. The father of five was diagnosed with lymphoma in January. Then COVID-19 hit the entire family. Just as he was set to start cancer treatments, he's been here since March. 
Trudeau is only 49. This photo taken just six months ago of the otherwise healthy man who's now been affected by both health emergencies, COVID-19 and the overdose crisis. My nephew's, my husband's nephew, son, passed away of age 14 in Campbell River due to overdose. On top of that, smoke and water damage from this suspicious fire on May 9th that tore through the family's neighbor's property in Surrey forced them out of theirs. I called a friend and she said I could come stay with her. I've been trying to look for a place, but it's really hard. It's very expensive. An online fundraiser has been set up by a relative to help cover rent as they search for a new place to stay. For the couple's youngest children, the reality hasn't sunk in the way it has for their mother. But they don't really understand that relationship as a wife and a husband. I've been with him since I was 17. And they all need him, she says, hoping sharing their family's plight will help more people realize restrictions are in place for a reason. I just want people to know it, it could happen to you. Don't think it can't. A search is underway for a woman who authorities say has been swept away by the Ashnola River near Karameas. RCMP say 43-year-old Amy Sabine drove off of Ashnola Road into the river Friday just before 11 a.m. and was swept away by the fast-moving water when she tried to get out of her Chevy Blazer. Police say a witness saw her disappeared and called for help. Search and rescue crews from as far west as Hope rushed to the scene along with RCMP air support but haven't yet been able to find the missing woman. And just ahead, war on the murder hornet. How officials in Washington state are hoping to eradicate the invasive pest. And from China to the Canadian prairies, a family's international rescue mission for a four-legged friend. Road crews in Washington state are preparing an all-out offensive against a murderous invader. Transportation crews will be out scanning public lands for Asian giant hornets, better known as murder hornets. Officials on both sides of the border have been monitoring the hornets since the first one was spotted in Nanaimo two years ago. They pose a significant risk to honeybee populations. Here in B.C., experts will be keeping a close eye on the Fraser Valley. 1,200 traps will be set across the state next month and will be monitored weekly. A family in the prairies is now more complete. They went on a rescue mission that started in China, had a stop in Vancouver, and was completed in Saskatoon. Derek Bidwell has the story. Carrie Yauzi always wanted a golden retriever, but she heard of a way to add a dog to her family that needed help finding a family. I came across China Rescue Dogs and learned that they are made up of superheroes that rescue these dogs, dedicate their lives to rescuing dogs from unimaginable torture. And I started pursuing, emailing, and uh, the rest is history. Kind of just took up some momentum in the spring, and then uh, all of a sudden I was on the road. Carrie and her husband Paul were so excited to meet Brandy, who was named after the rep that helped set up the adoption, that they drove 17 hours to Vancouver to meet her. Paul captured that first moment when they met in the shipping yard. China Rescue Dogs saves dogs like Brandy from slaughterhouses. For adoption, they normally deal with families in the United States, but due to travel restrictions, they have started working with families in Canada. 
and we also decided to go ahead and partner with a rescue in Canada that's also taking our dogs called uh, Loved at Last Dog Rescue there in Vancouver. Um, so they've actually, uh, as of the 6th of June, they've taken 20 of our dogs for us. So for now, Brandy is getting lots of love and attention and plenty of treats. She's also getting used to her two new buddies, as the Yowsies also have two rescue cats, including one with three legs named Bella. We are now one big happy family, and um, I finally got my golden retriever. And more special, she was a rescue. Like she's just awesome. She's an awesome pet, and you didn't know, like, rescue dogs, what, what they're going to be like, but uh, she is just unbelievable, yeah. For more information on this adoption agency, go to ChinaRescueDogs.org. Derek Bidwell, Global News. In health matters, with a hot, dry summer expected for much of Canada, the threat of wildfires is growing. Some researchers are concerned the flames could churn up more than dust and smoke, potentially spreading pathogens in the air. As Global News health reporter Jamie Marocker explains, there may be cause for concern about the airborne spread of COVID-19. It's no secret smoke itself is bad for your lungs, but now some scientists are troubled by what the plumes may carry with them. There is um, the potential for people to be breathing in things that that might cause infections. By launching a drone into a wildfire, Lita Kobziar, a professor of wildland fire science at the University of Idaho, found as soil, plants and animal matter burns, it exposes thousands of bacteria and fungi. Surviving the heat, she explains, these organisms get picked up and sent into the air. Essentially, you know, smoke acting as a biological conveyor belt that is spreading biodiversity around the world. As we continue to face a global pandemic, Vancouver-based respirologist Dr. Don Sin worries what this means for a virus transmitted by aerosols. There have been some smaller studies showing that they are well uh, carried by uh, part, uh, particle matters and air pollution particles. A theory he hopes will be studied further, but the BC Centre for Disease Control says that won't be easy. There's no way we'd be able to say they got it from the smoke <laughs> unless we could, you know, do whole genome sequencing on the virus in the smoke and whole genome sequencing on that individual and anybody else around them. For Kobziar and her team, the focus isn't on one virus. Instead, she needs to confirm the hundreds of pathogens they found are in fact harmful to humans. Microbes are really tough, I think is the, the bottom line continuing to study the smoke and what lives within it. Jamie Marocker, Global News, Toronto. Today marks 40 years since the first cases of what later became known as AIDS were officially reported in the U.S. A new Center for Disease Control study in the U.S. finds that since the peak of the epidemic in the mid-1980s, new HIV infections have declined by 73 percent. But there are still disparities among visual minorities and transgender women. The Canadian AIDS Society says the fight to eradicate HIV isn't over. In 2020, Canada failed to meet the U.N target of 90% of HIV-positive people knowing they have the virus, 90% of them on medication, and 90% of them with viral levels of suppressed low enough to not pass it on. Medical researchers also believe the COVID-19 pandemic has derailed the fight against HIV-AIDS. Just ahead, Crane Envy in Prince Rupert. The huge new addition to that city's port will tell you how long it took to build right after this. You're watching Global News Hour at 6.
Well, the port of Prince Rupert is now home to the largest crane in the country. The big crane arrived on BC's northwest coast earlier this week after a month-long voyage from Shanghai. It was transported across the Pacific alongside three other cranes bound for the U.S. The crane took 18 months to build and has an outreach of 25 containers. It will service the world's biggest vessels at DP World's Fairview Container Terminal in Prince Rupert. Pay as you waste, South Korea's system that makes residents pay for the food they scrap. Details on that just ahead. But first, residents across many communities in B.C., particularly in the northwest, are dealing with major flooding as the snow melts are combined with heavy rain. One of the major routes affected is the Niska Highway or Highway 113. Drive B.C. has been saying it's being closed due to flooding between Spruce Drive and Nass Road. And during a break in the storm, some kids were captured on camera enjoying playing in the shallow floodwaters on a highway outside the Nass Valley. Flood warnings and watches have been in place across the northwest. And for the latest on those advisories, we've got meteorologist Yvonne Shell here now. Yvonne, are those warnings still in place? Yeah, so Nithi, we right now have a high stream flow advisor in all the following areas that are in yellow. So that's what we're seeing. And that's what the river rise, rivers are expected to rise rapidly for many areas, but no real flood or major flood um, concern at this point. But a reminder for everybody, especially with the warm temperatures, and now we're tracking some rainfall in all these areas right now in yellow is where we're seeing the high stream flow advisory. Uh, this is a quick glance at one of the graphs to show us the water level at the Skeena River at Glen Val, where it did peak on the 4th, but we are still watching it and the forecast, so we'll continue to watch those rivers over the next few days. Uh, current shot of what it looks like out there overlooking English Bay. We've had a bit of a mixed bag across the province with a few spots seeing even isolated thunderstorms. We'll continue to see that for the latter half of the weekend, and I'll have more coming up in just a moment. We're sitting at 16. We've got a southwesterly wind at 15 kilometers kilometers per hour. We still have a few isolated showers uh, stretching its way in towards the Fraser Valley and we are going to continue that see that instability for all areas across the south coast. Overnight tonight we'll be down to 11 degrees, a chance of showers for the early morning hours and looking ahead towards the afternoon and early evening we are going to see that risk of thunderstorms and the island will be included within that. A snapshot on the future cast, this is what it looks like tomorrow morning. We'll see some precipitation especially along the western edge. It'll be a chance of showers and then it picks up for all areas especially for the central and southern interior with the instability also seeing that risk of thunderstorms. It'll stay as rain along the coast, windy, especially for a few spots that are closer to the water. Inland is where we're seeing that potential risk of thunderstorms and that stretches all the way in towards both the central and southern half of the province. It'll be a drier start though for the southern interior, even a few breaks and then an increase in cloud cover and the winds are going to pick up with a few spots even seeing gusts of up to 40 kilometers per hour. Whistler will be looking at a cool day tomorrow, high just up to 13 degrees. South coast, we will have that chance of showers and then risk of thunderstorms for the afternoon. Highs tomorrow for Victoria up to 13 degrees. A bit of an unsettled start to Monday, Tuesday so far. Hoping to see a few breaks, but there is that chance of showers. And then looking ahead on Wednesday, looks like we'll get a partly cloudy sky and some dry conditions up to 17. Nithu? Looks refreshing. You Thanks, bet. Yvonne. Food waste is a huge issue in Canada. Hundreds of thousands of tons of food are thrown away every year. But in South Korea, people are having to pay for what they waste. Here's Ian Lee. It's lunchtime in Seoul, and they're serving up quite a spread. South Korean meals typically have free and unlimited side dishes. And when diners don't finish their food, it goes to waste. 
But instead of chucking the leftovers in the trash, restaurant owners are required by law to separate food waste for recycling. It's the same at home. Residents pay for every pound of food they toss, either in a prepaid bag or at a machine that weighs the waste. In the summer, it smells bad, this garbage man says. It was that stench of rotting food from landfills that mobilized South Koreans to make a change. Activist Kim Miwa says intense protests forced the government to turn a nation of food wasters into food recyclers. Three decades later, more than 95% of food waste is recycled, becoming compost, biofuel, and at this factory, it's dried and turned into chicken feed. South Korea's system isn't perfect, though. There's still a lot of food waste to recycle, and processing plants are struggling to make a profit as most provide their services for free. But many residents say as long as that smell stays away, they're happy to continue to pay. Ian Lee, CBS News. Nithu, like you said, sometimes your eyes are bigger than your stomach. Absolutely. I know there are some restaurants with buffet-style eats yep. where they charge if you waste, but it's an interesting concept. It could fly here. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Barry, what's coming up in sports? Well, I always finish my plate, as you can see. So <laughs> that's not my problem. But a uh, great day for Team Canada at the Worlds. A week ago, if you said Canada was in the gold medal game, we've got a lot of raised eyebrows. But they are there. We'll have highlights of their semifinal win. And a shocking uh, withdrawal for uh, the leader at the memorial, John Rahm, will tell you why when we come back. All right, lots to look forward to there. Thanks so much, Barry. Also coming up, seeking truth and reconciliation. My mother watched her hemorrhage to death from tuberculosis. A Kamloops author hopes her book encourages a better understanding of residential schools. Each year, thousands of kids count on BC Children's Hospital for the expert care they can't get anywhere else. BC Children's Hospital is here for them all, but they need your help too. Rise for BC's Kids, June 12th on Global BC. In the wake of the disturbing discovery of unmarked burial sites at a former residential school in Kamloops, many people are asking how they can help find solutions that will lead to reconciliation. Well, an award-winning Kamloops author says you can start by educating yourselves about the history of residential schools in this country. Chad Klassen of CFJC News has more. Clara cried and cried for Lily, for herself. For her lost angels. Michelle Good also cries for Lily, one of the book's characters who dies of tuberculosis at a residential school in Mission. Clara told her about Indian school and how Lily had hemorrhaged to the brink of death in front of her, how Sister Mary had let her die alone and helpless. Lily was my mother's friend and my mother watched her die. My mother watched her hemorrhage to death from tuberculosis. And that was one of the first things my mother told me about her experiences at the residential school. That evening, Mariah fed her clear soup and put her to bed as though she were a child. Good's poignant account of her mother's friend and her mother's experience at residential school is encapsulated perfectly in her book, Five Little Indians. The book has received national acclaim, earning the Governor General's Award for Fiction. However, more than accolades, Good is hoping that people will be encouraged to pick up the book and learn about her people's devastating history. I want them to stop asking the question, why can't we just get over it? 
I want them to obtain a personalized and a, and a meaningful understanding of the half-life of trauma. Good's entire family, including her mother, attended residential school. She would have as well, but her mother lost her status when she married Good's father, a non-Indigenous man. The book's elevated status comes on the heels of 215 children's bodies being found on the grounds of the former Kamloops Indian Residential School. Good hopes the discovery, as well as her book, encourages the federal government to take action, which she says hasn't happened since the Truth and Reconciliation findings were released in 2015. Lowering the flag to half-mast is, is a... Is a symbolic and and lovely gesture but it doesn't do a thing to protect these sites that likely exist at every residential school site or to support those communities in bringing their kids home. Jack Lassen, CFJC News. Coming up, celebrating a centenarian. It was a, a feeling of what do I do now? How Stocky Edwards is marking his 100th birthday next. Many of the world's best in sport made their mark right here in BC and Global BC is honored to showcase the BC Sports Hall of Fame's Class of 2020. Watch Global News Morning Weekend starting June 5th to hear their personal trials and triumphs. Part of Covenant House's Spring Match Campaign. Support Covenant House Vancouver in their mission to provide love, shelter, and more to young people overcoming homelessness. This spring, when you donate, your gift will be matched for twice the impact in our community. Don't miss the Vancouver Art Gallery's newest exhibition, Vancouver Special Disorientations and Echo. This exhibit looks at contemporary art in the greater Vancouver region, featuring recent work by 32 established and emerging artists. Book your tickets online. For Our BC, I'm Michael Newman. If you wanna know, it's on the hub. If you wanna show, it's on the hub. If you wanna go, it's on the Global BC Community Hub. Navigate your now. All right, another busy day in sports. Barry's back for a look at that, starting with a bit of a rough start for Canada on the national hockey stage. Yeah, well, it was a rough start, but now things are going along pretty good. Thanks very much, Neithi. When uh, Canada started this year's uh, World Hockey Championships with three straight losses, it looked like they would set a dubious record. Canada had never failed to make the quarterfinals since playing this tournament full-time in 1978. But... Canada has pulled off a miraculous turnaround and not only did they qualify for the playoffs but now they are playing for gold after beating the Americans 4-2 today in the semifinals. Richmond's Troy Stetcher has been a rock for Canada. Also had that ridiculous move to set up the overtime winner versus Russia in the quarters. Canada off to a quick start against the U.S. who were riding a seven-game win streak but Brandon Peary Fires in the rebound just two minutes in, and it was a 1-1 after one. Calgary Flame Andrew Mangiapane has been the key spark in Canada's offense. He's got talent and tenacity. Pokes in a loose puck from the doorstep. 2-1 Canada after two. Early third, USA have a chance, but Darcy Kemper makes the save with the shaft of his stick. He had a shaky start to this tourney, but like everyone, has gotten better each game since. That save leads to this Connor Brown aerial pass to Spring Mangiapane. And check out the move on Cal Peterson. Whoop, that is a slick play by Mangiapane with a tournament leading seven goals. Canada with the 4-2 victory. They will meet Finland for gold tomorrow. 
10 a.m. our time, the Finns beat the Germans 2-1 in the other semi. Stanley Cup playoffs, Lightning and Hurricanes game four. Rod Brindamore's Canes looking to even things up. A wild second period. Teams combined for eight goals. Jesper Fast spins and fires on the rebound here to make it 2-1 Carolina. It was 3-2 Canes when Jacob Slavin from the sharp angle bounces it in off Andre Vasilevsky. 4-2 Hurricanes. But then Tampa responds. Now 4-3. It's Tyler Johnson with the quick release past Peter Morazic getting his first start of the series. Not exactly playoff goaltending from either side. It's 4-4. And then on the power play, have we seen this before? Steven Stamkos wiring home the one-timer is second of the game fifth of the playoffs, 5-4 Lightning after two. In the third, it's Nikita Kucherov, his second of the game, a quick release, but another one that Morazic has to stop. He allowed six on just 26 shots. 6-4 Tampa, that's the final. Lightning go up 3-1 in the series. Game five goes back in Raleigh on Monday night. Game four, Bruins and Islanders from a packed house A noisy house on Long Island. Bruins open in the second on a two-man power play. Get the puck to the net. Mad scramble. David Krejci, the veteran, fires it in. And it's 1-0 Boston, but the Isles get it back just a few minutes later. Coquitlam's Matthew Barzell doing the hard work finds Kyle Palmieri. Great pass from Barzell. 1-1, and that's where they stand right now as they play the third period on Long Island. PGA Tour in Ohio for the Memorial, hosted of course by Jack Nicholas. Had to finish up round two this morning and John Rahm got his day off to a sizzling start. Tee shot on the par 3 16th. And this is going to hop into the hole for an ace, part of a 7 under 65 as Rahm took the lead in round three at 10 under. And the Spaniard just kept rolling in round three. 13th hole rolls in the birdie putt. Beautifully read there. 5 under for the round at that point, 15 under for the tourney, and then to the 16 where he made the ace this morning. Well, this isn't an ace, but the next best thing, a birdie from 36 feet. Rom firing an 8 under 64, 18 under, a six-shot lead, but incredibly, he's been forced to withdraw because of a positive COVID test. You can see how devastated he is when he was informed that his test came back positive just as he was completing his round. Just the fourth player all year to be forced to withdraw mid-tournament, a sudden turn of events. So now, Patrick Cantley and Colin Morikawa lead at minus 12. Nick Taylor, 51st at minus three, at plus three. Adam had when missed the cut. U.S. Women's Open, round three from the famed Olympic Club in San Francisco. Canada's Brooke Henderson bounced back today after a 7-over 78 yesterday. Much better today, and the putter was the difference at the third. Look how delicate those greens are, but Brooke with a perfect putt there. And then at the next hole, another one from distance. Again, another Perfect read, line and pace. It just falls in. Brooke with a 2-under 69 has climbed all the way to 12th thanks to one of only six subpar rounds today. 17-year-old amateur Mega Gane led after the first round. Hanging tough. Great shot here for the teenager from New Jersey. She is tied for third at 3-under. What a tournament. Lexi Thompson had one of those uh, subpar rounds. Birdie at 14 here. And she fires a 5-under 66. 7-under a one-shot lead over over Yuka Sasso of the Philippines after three rounds of the U.S. Open. Baseball from Buffalo, Blue Jays, and the Houston Astros. How about some defense? Jose Altuve, base hit to left. Lourdes Gurriel Jr. coming up throwing, and he fires a laser to home plate. 
to get Miles Straw, who didn't even slide, but Guriel shocks him with, what, about an 85-yard missile? What a play. Then the Jays get busy with the bat in the fourth. Joe Panic going deep to right. That is just fair. It's a three-run homer, 4-1 Blue Jays. And then in the fifth, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. with his major league leading 17th big fly. Guerrero also leads the AL in batting average at 338. All coming together this year for Vladdy. He's only 22, don't forget. Jays win it 6-2. Third round from Roland Garros. Men's top seed Novak Djokovic taking on Ricardus Barrancas. And this was one-way traffic for the Joker. Rolled in the opening set. No problems with the volley to take the set six games to one. Won the second set as well. And then in the third, incredible stretch drop shot at the net for uh, Djokovic as he cruises into the fourth round. It takes just 93 minutes as he wins it 6-1, 6-4, 6-1. Also today, 13-time champ Rafa Nadal taking on Great Britain's Cameron Norrie. And as you might expect, Rafa did not have any issues. Moving on, took the first set 6-3, then comes up with a brilliant two-fisted backhand pass to take the second 6-3 as well. Match point, Nadal serving, rips the forehand winner, and he is on to the fourth round. Roger Federer also won today. Now Federer and Djokovic will meet in the quarterfinals if they each win their next match. NBA playoffs, Kevin Durant's Brooklyn Nets hosting game one of the second round versus the Milwaukee Bucks. But the Nets' big three has been reduced to two. James Harden's troublesome hamstring flaring up again today. He was forced to leave the game early first half. But the Nets still have plenty of firepower. Kyrie Irving with the pretty reverse lay-in had 20 in the first half. Brooklyn led by two, but they stretched it out in the third thanks to 25 points from Kevin Durant. KD with the deep three there. 98-84, and it's now 112-96 in the fourth. Well, the Belmont Stakes was getting attention today for who wasn't in the race. Kentucky Kentucky Derby winner Medina Spirit, trained by Bob Baffert, were not allowed to enter the race as the investigation into an illegal steroid use at the Kentucky Derby continues. Medina Spirit could still be stripped of the Derby win, but it could still be months before that decision comes down. In the meantime, they ran the marathon mile and a half in New York today. Always fun to go to the track, but a little of the juice out of the Triple Crown with, uh, I guess, talking about that, about the steroid problem with Bob Baffert and his horses. So a we'll lot keep an eye on, on that it. one. Absolutely. All right. Thanks so much, Barry. And coming up, the Canadian veteran who flew 373 combat missions turns 100. More from Stocky Edwards next. Our world is changing fast, but the plan remains the same. Ask the questions, explain the answers, provide the context. When and where BC needs it most. Global News. Navigate the now. Each year, thousands of kids count on BC Children's Hospital for the expert care they can't get anywhere else. BC Children's Hospital is here for them all, but they need your help too. Rise for BC's Kids, June 12th on Global BC. 
Well, a special salute on Vancouver Island today as a living legend from the Second World War marked a major milestone. <laughs> a Canadian Forces flyby in Comox, just part of the COVID safe celebration for James Stocky Edwards' 100th birthday. 300 plus people lined up to honor the legendary fighter pilot with a car parade past his Comox home. Stocky Edwards signed up to serve as a 19 year old kid from Saskatchewan and was a veteran pilot by early 1943, flying Spitfires over Italy. By the Second World War's end, Stocky Edwards had flown an incredible 373 combat missions, shooting down 19 enemy aircraft, of which 18 were fighters. He was never shot down himself. Well, it wasn't in the military, but the war came along and changed my mind. And for some reason, I thought I'd like to, well, of course, the radio and all that of the Battle of Britain, and I thought I'd like to be a pilot. And that sort of got lost and, and took off. He's been saying, when are they going to let me forget? Because for them, it's just something cool, historical. But it brings back, you know, memories that he doesn't need to be putting up with again. Stocky, thank you for your service. Happy birthday, sir. Edwards and his wife Tony are longtime members of the Ducks Unlimited Canada and the conservation organization raised more than $100,000 in his honor to safeguard wetlands and wildlife in BC. Wow, what a life. Incredible. And he seems as sharp as ever at 100. <laughs> I love the nicknames of the, uh, yeah. of the pilots. They, everyone seemed to have, and a good nickname too, not like just the bad hockey nicknames. Stocky. <laughs> I like that. Stocky Edwards, a very happy birthday to you, Stocky. Let's find out what the weather is going to be like for his final week here. Uh, we are looking at a uh, chance for some showers. Even the risk of a thunderstorm may pop up tomorrow. So a heads up, a few isolated showers on and off on Monday, Tuesday. And then we're hoping to see a drier day on our Wednesday. Looks great. All right. Thank you so much, Yvonne. And thank you all. We'll see you back here tomorrow.